Last week, on uh, last Wednesday, I had mentioned that in the month of January, we are going to, uh, as a church collectively, go on uh, a time of 21 days of prayer and fasting, a time of consecration to start our year off on the right foot, and uh, that will begin on January 8th, so that second Sunday of the month, we're going to kick that off with 21 days of prayer and fasting and so then I began talking on the subject of prayer last Wednesday night. And we're going to continue on that subject here tonight. This is a series that uh, some of you have heard before. And uh, I have taught this series. It's been a couple of years since we've gone through this. I mentioned it last Wednesday at the conclusion of, our, um, of that Bible study, this praying through the tabernacle plan. And uh, I need to say up front, this is not a series that necessarily is original to myself. Uh, this is first uh, taught by a very influential minister within our organization, uh, a very godly man, a pastor of a very powerful church in Alexandria, Louisiana, which I am so excited um, that this past October for our, uh, Pastor Appreciation Month that the church gifted to me and my wife to be able to go to a conference because of the times uh, in January. And this is the church that we'll be going to, uh, to the Pentecostals of Alexandria. Pastor Anthony Mangan, he taught this uh, for the first time to his church, and uh, but he didn't even teach it necessarily from his notes. They came from the notes of his late father, G.A. Mangan, who lived this very prayer out every day of his life. He had notebooks that were filled with uh, study on the subject of the tabernacle and praying through the tabernacle. And I'm going to keep the same title for the series as Pastor Mangan did, which is Heaven to Earth, the Tabernacle Today. And this is how to bring heaven to earth. It is, it's commonly called, as I've already mentioned, praying through the tabernacle, this is uh, something that I, uh, I utilize in my own prayer time. And uh, I have found it very effective as far as keeping me focused, keeping me um, in uh, being able to pray in a, a well-rounded manner and on a consistent basis. And so I, I just have been blessed by this. And uh, I want to bring this to the church here again tonight. Uh, just as a reminder for some, maybe new to some of you in praying through the tabernacle. And so let's, let's dive into Exodus chapter 25. Exodus chapter 25 and uh, verse number one, uh, beginning there, it says that the Lord spake unto Moses saying, speak unto the children of Israel that they bring me an offering of every man that giveth it willingly with his heart you shall take my offering. Skipping down to verse 8. God speaking to Moses. He says, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. According to all that I show thee after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall ye make it. And then, just one more scripture here in Hebrews 8 verse 5 says who serve unto the example in the shadow of the heavenly 
things. As Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle, for see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern that showed to thee in the mount. So what we are learning about here, this is a pattern that was given to Moses, this pattern of the tabernacle. But it's also a pattern that is in heaven tonight. This is a pattern that God has laid down. It's and it works. This is a pattern that that God said, I, I've already I already have this structure, this this pattern that is established in heaven. And Moses, I want to give it to you. I want to give you the same pattern that you can build a physical tabernacle that is there, a place, a sanctuary that I can dwell in. And and yet it was a, not just for them, not just for them in the wilderness. This is, I believe, a pattern that we can still follow today to approach God in a in a, a manner that would uh, would allow us to approach Him with anything that we would ask, and we would receive it. See, the Lord He gave forty verses in Scripture on the subject of creation. You can read about creation in forty verses, and yet He gave four hundred verses to the tabernacle. There are four. Hundred verses that cover the subject of the tabernacle. There are two chapters that are dedicated to creation. And yet there are five books in the Bible that are written about the tabernacle and about redemption. See, the only building that is constructed upon this earth, which was perfect from its beginning, that from the outset, every single detail was absolutely perfect it never again needed any attention. It never needed an addition. It never needed an alteration. It was the tabernacle that was constructed in the wilderness. The reason I say it was perfect, that it didn't need any additions to it, it didn't need any alterations, is because that tabernacle was built according to the plans that God had told Moses to build it. This wasn't just... Moses' idea of how to build a tabernacle. This blueprint, this pattern, this plan, this design, all of the specifications were minutely made in heaven and then given to Moses and for the children of Israel to have. And uh, as, as they were coming out of Egypt, they were in the wilderness. Every single detail of this was designed by God. Every part. The nuts, the bolts, the... The, the ropes, the pins, everything that was constructing this tabernacle, the, every, down to every article of furniture, the, the furnishings, the, all of these things, they had prophetic and redemptive purpose to them. They had, they had the significance that was attached to them. There is absolutely no portion of Scripture, I believe, that is richer in meaning and more perfect in its teaching of this plan of redemption, of how God would save us from our sins, than this building that is known as the tabernacle. It can lead us through the plan of salvation, but it can also be this, um, be this structure, this pattern that we can follow in reaching God, even today, as we go to Him in prayer. See, God was the architect of this building. God was the architect 
of the, the tabernacle that was constructed in the wilderness. Every single detail of this, I believe, points us to the work that Jesus Christ would do on the cross. I'm going to try to show some of that tonight. It's a complete form. It is probably the most complete foreshadowing and prophetic display that we have of what Jesus Christ would do when, when God would it, when God would robe himself in flesh and incarnate himself in flesh and then go and die on a cross for our sins. At the tabernacle is this, this way that we can understand salvation and Hebrews 8 5, we, we already read it, but the, the writer there, he reminds us of how God told Moses when he was, he was about to make the tabernacle, he said to him that thou shalt make all things according to the pattern that I showed you in the mount. That everything that you make, everything that you construct, I want you to do it in the, the, the pattern that I already showed you when you were up on Mount Sinai. See, in the, uh, I'm going to try to cover some of these articles of furniture as we will pray through the tabernacle. But uh, the first article, I'm just going to kind of briefly go through them real quick. Because the first article that you would come to as you enter into the tabernacle is the brazen altar. And there's no way that that I can cover the detail of this, this tabernacle plan you know, here, all of it tonight. But this this brazen altar, when you come to that, the first thing. That you would come to when you come into the tabernacle is you see this great big altar. Where they would actually have the sacrifices of the animals that were laid there upon that altar. And this is this place that we come to in this, this, uh, this uh, aspect of repentance. This attitude of repentance when we come and we, we ask God. God, I, I, if I, before I ever come into your presence, God, I, I must ask for repentance. I must repent because I'm a sinful man. And I'm, I'm a sinner. It doesn't matter how good you are. We are all sinners. We are all, our righteousness is as filthy rags. And so we, we, in approaching God, if we want to, if we want to learn how to really pray, then we must first recognize our own mistakes or our own, um, our own carnality. That we are carnal and that we must, in approaching a holy God, in approaching a holy God, I want to do it in a manner that God would see fit. I want to approach God in a way that my... Anybody here like, you want your prayers answered? Right? You want to pray effective prayers? Scripture in the New Testament says, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That's the effective prayers of a righteous man avail, you know, that they do work. I want my prayers to do work. I want my prayers to be effective prayers. If I want my prayers to be effective prayers, then I want to do it in the pattern that God will lay out for me. I want to do it in a way that, that he would show for me as a pattern to pray, as a pattern to reach his throne room. There's a, there's a uh, verse in Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, verse 1. Where Jesus, he's giving the only requirement for prayer. He's spoken to them a parable to this end that men ought always to pray and not to faint. That's the, that's the commandment. Always pray. It's repeated 
It's reinforced when Paul writes his letter to First Thessalonians or to the church of Thessalonians. Uh, he, Paul, he says, pray without ceasing. When God established this tabernacle in the wilderness, God's pattern and his purpose for prayer, it was revealed to them. But he was, he was doing it in a way saying, I want you to understand that prayer is vital for your walk with God. That prayer is a vital part of your relationship with me. So men ought always to pray. Now that's, that covers men and women. That we ought always to pray. That we ought to pray without ceasing. This is, this is the requirement for us. That it, it, we ought to always be coming to God in prayer. When we need things, when we don't need things, when, whenever. We just need to always be in an attitude of prayer. See, I, there's a, there was a question that the disciples, they asked Jesus one, one time when they were, um, had been with Jesus for some time. They'd seen him pray. They themselves had, had fumbled over prayers and they finally asked Jesus, can you just teach us to pray? Can you, can you show us like an effective way to pray? And Jesus, he gave them a, a pattern. We call it the Lord's Prayer often today. Um, he teaches them our Father which art in heaven. And this is a pattern. This is a, a not, he, he didn't mean for them to repeat those words. It was a pattern for them to pray. And I've, I've taught that pattern before as well of praying and the pattern of the Lord's Prayer. And much of that is reflected also in this tabernacle plan of how to pray through the tabernacle. But this tabernacle plan, um, as we pray in this, the tabernacle, it was not just this temporary building that was for the Old Testament people. It was an example and a shadow of heavenly things to come. It was a pattern that it was first established in heaven. And then it was given to us as an example to enter into the presence of God. That this tabernacle plan, is there... Um, See, the strength, I believe, of your temple, we, we are the temple. We are, we are the temple of God. And the strength of our temple, it determines on, or it's, it's determined upon our, our response to life. It's determined upon how, how do we respond to how, what life is throwing at us. See, God, He designed the very first temple so that it was portable. It wasn't Solomon's temple that was constructed there in Jerusalem. It was stationary. No, God, he didn't, he didn't put a building that was like this one here that's located at 609 Patty Lane in Kinderville. It was, it wasn't a temple that was like that. No, he built a temple that was, or he built a, a tabernacle that was a portable building. He gave, in fact, he even gave them instructions. This is how you're going to tear it down. You can read all about it in those, those first five books or, uh, of the, the Bible. He said, Pick up the pieces. I want you to move with it as the cloud or as the fire moves. And as the children of Israel, as they were going on their journey, every piece of that structure was sanctified. Every piece of it was sacred. And the Israelites, they respected all these different pieces of, of furniture that were there in the tabernacle. And they were there and, and, and as the, uh, the presence of God was, was leading them through the wilderness, it was uh, by night, they saw this pillar of fire. By day, they saw this cloud. And if that pillar of fire would move in the middle of the night, they knew, hey, it's time to get going. I need, I need you to go and you're gonna, you're gonna 
start to take down the walls, you're going to go and you're going to, you're going to get the, the staves into the, the sides of the, of the Ark of the Covenant and we're going to pick this up and we're going to get marching. We're going to go. Uh, they, they understood that if God was moving the, wherever God, the presence of God would lead them, that they needed to, uh, they needed to pack up this tabernacle and they needed to move to wherever God was leading. It was a portable, uh, a portable tent. This was a portable, uh, building, portable sanctuary where they would go and every part of that tabernacle from the doorpost of the outer court to the curtains in the most holy place, all of them, whenever they would set it back up, it had to be done in the exact same order. It was a, a certain order that they had to do this because it was according to the plan of God. It had to be just like it had been dr- drawn up from the very beginning. No matter where they went on their journey, that order, it could not be changed whenever they stopped. They had to set it up just like God had given it from the very beginning. See, the Israelites, they were very careful in how they handled these pieces of furniture. In fact, uh, when you study the 12 tribes, each tribe had a specific duty in caring for the tabernacle. They were meticulous about what they would do in caring for the tabernacle because they knew that one element out of place might affect the glory of God. They knew that if they did one thing that was not right, then the glory of God would not be manifest upon the Ark of the Covenant. So that tabernacle, this this building that God had given them these instructions, it housed the very presence of God. You get into the most holy place, and that was where the Shekinah glory of God was. I love the uh, I love the uh, the story of when it says that Moses and Joshua were, they went into the tabernacle one one day and they were there and they were worshiping in the tabernacle and and all of a sudden this kind of glory it it came down and it was it was this as if a cloud was filling that building where they were at they were worshiping God inside of there it says Moses came out but it tells us that Joshua he lingered there. He lingered in the, in the tabernacle where the presence of God was. I love that, that story of just, just imagining Joshua in that place and just being like, this is amazing. This is amazing being in the presence of God. This is amazing feeling the presence of God in this, this, this place. I don't want to leave it. I don't want to take one step outside of this building because I just want to stay in the very presence of God. I want to stay here where I know God is at. See, they, they were worried that if, if we do anything wrong, if we do anything out of place, then we're never going to get to experience that again. If we don't set this up in the perfect way, then we're not going to be able to get into the presence of God ever again. See, this, this tabernacle was mobile and it, it took the people from one place to another. It took them ultimately to the place that God had destined for them, which was the promised land. But it was for us today, for us today, the presence of God is not confined to some badger skins. It's not confined to the, the holy of holies where the Ark of the Covenant dwells, that today the presence of God is in us, that we are the temple of God. 
that you and I, we are the temple of God. And we're going to look to this tabernacle as a pattern for us and a pattern of prayer. But for us today, we also must understand that it's not about getting to a certain physical location. You have the, you have the Spirit of God. If you've been filled with the Holy Ghost, we already can experience what Moses, what Moses and Joshua were experiencing there in that physical tabernacle. We can experience it wherever you're at. But I believe that there is a proper way when we come to God in, in a time of prayer, in a time of, of requesting God of things and praying a, um, an intercessory prayer, getting into a, a place where it is, where the supernatural is taking place, that you don't just waltz into that. You don't just, you don't just one day wake up and just, just utter a few words and all of a sudden you're into the very presence of God. That, that I believe is, is a, there's a certain pattern, there's a certain way of approaching God in prayer that can bring you to different levels. That can bring you into different levels in your, in your time of prayer where, where whatever you ask. The scripture says, whatsoever you ask, you shall receive. But you, should, you need to ask it according to my will. You need to ask these things according to the way that I want them to be asked. That that only happens when we are in perfect communion with God. That only happens when we are in that place of the holy of holies. And we, we see or we feel God speaking to us and saying, yeah, I need you to pray for this. I need you to ask for this. I need you to go and, and, to, and to pray on this person's behalf. And I need you to go and do this over here. Those kind of things. That happens when you get into the Holy of Holies. That happens when you get to that very final place in your prayer time where God and you are communing together in prayer. Where it's a conversation between you and God. And it's not just you requesting things of God. But it's God laying things on your hearts. Speaking through you prayers that he wants to see come to pass. That's what we're talking about when we say praying through the tabernacle. I'm going to get back to my notes here tonight. See, God, he designed us. We are the church. We are the one that we, we um, have the, the presence of God in us. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 that says, What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? We recognize this. I want you to see that the pattern that was established for the New Testament is the spiritual pattern that's established for you and for me. That the New Testament temples of, that we are the New Testament temples of the Holy Ghost. And once you understand this principle that we are the temple, as, as the temple of the Holy Ghost, we need to handle carefully the sacred pieces that you house. That wherever you go, you need to handle sacredly the things that God has entrusted you with. That we, we house the Holy Ghost. That we, if you're full of the Holy Ghost, the Bible says in, in Proverbs 20, 27, the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. And you've got to have the Holy Ghost in order. You've got to, you've got to have your spirit in order. You've got to have your soul in order. There's a, there's a proper way of handling your affairs. There's a proper way of, of going about your life. That when you get into that place of prayer, you can get into the presence of God. See, the pattern 
of the tabernacle, God, he was very meticulous about this. And I've said that over and over tonight. But there was a certain way that they would uh, come, come to God into that holy of holies. And following this pattern for prayer was going to help us to end those aimless wanderings. And if you're like anything like me, you've had some prayer sessions that are just like that. Anybody else, you get into a time of prayer and it's just like your mind's going here and there and it's like buzzing from one thing to the next. Anybody, am I the only one? No? You've been there? Okay. Yeah. I've been there a lot. And that's why having a pattern like this really helps me. It helps me to stay focused. I don't get into prayer and then all of a sudden I start thinking about, man, what uh, what should I eat tonight? Where Where are we going to go to... Uh, to pick up some food, and then you begin to think about, you know, how how this person they, uh, you know, they told you to do something, and you forgot about it, and you you begin to think about that, and then oh yeah, I'm praying, and then you get back to your time of prayer, and and then it's, you start praying about this and and that, and it's as if you know you're just like everywhere, you're like bouncing from one thing to the next. Having a pattern of prayer really really helps. As far as staying focused in my time of prayer. It's um, 1 John chapter 5. Let's go there. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. It says, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. I've Verse 15, and if we know that he hear us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. This is that, that scripture that I've, I've referenced a couple of times tonight. That whatsoever you ask, you shall receive. That we know that when we pray a prayer that he hears us. We know that when we petition God of something, that we desired of Him, that, that God hears our prayers. But the question is, are we asking amiss? Are we asking things that we ought not to ask? Are we, are we praying the way that God would, would want us to pray? And this is, those, th- that, that kind of prayer happens when you get into communion with God. When you get focused and you allow God to speak through you. See, prayer is, is, is one, one aspect of prayer is God speaking through you things into existence. There's a prophetic nature to prayer. A prophetic nature to the things that you would pray. You can speak things into existence. I don't want to. I don't want to uh, proclaim some name it and claim it kind of doctrine here tonight. That anything that you say, you name it, you can claim it. It's going to come to pass. But there are things that you would pray that had you not prayed them, they would never happen. There are things that. That you speak and they happen because you spoke them. Right? There is a prophetic nature to to the things that you pray. This is why prayer is so important. 
Prayer changes everything. Prayer changes everything. Because now, now this is, this is not just simple little prayers that oh, I lay me down to sleep or I pray for my food, bless it to my body. You know, these is kind of prayers. You know, I'm talking when you get into a place of prayer that God is needing to speak through you so that things can come to pass. There's a prophetic nature to that prayer. And so we ought not take prayer lightly. We ought not just take prayer at, at this, as this duty that we have to do. God will move upon you to pray for things. See, God, this is how he operates. He will move upon somebody to pray so that that prayer can be voiced out into this, into the world. And then it can come to pass because of the prayers of some person. The prayer, our prayers release God to be able to operate here in this world. I don't know if you remember uh, a couple of uh, Sundays ago on that, that uh, New Year's, or I'm sorry, not New Year's, uh, that Thanksgiving service, a Sunday before Thanksgiving, we had the testimonies that were taking place, and my mother was given a testimony, just going through some different times in um, her life where she knew that God, uh, God spoke or God was uh, uh, confirming himself to her, and, and she mentioned uh, my older brother when he was, he was just a baby. Um, he, or just say a baby, he was able to talk at least, but, uh, I believe he was like two years old and, and, uh, my dad was coming home, uh, from, from playing basketball at the school and, and, uh, he, my two year old brother just, um, he just asked, he said, we need to pray for dad. We need to pray. Told, told my mom, we need to pray for dad. And she just stopped and she prayed for him, found out after he got home that he was almost in an accident on his way home that, uh, that he nearly, uh, nearly hit something on that, that way home. But and it was right at the exact time that, that, uh, the two year old asked or said, we need to pray. This is, this is how God operates. He will move upon somebody to, to ask prayer to, he will move upon somebody to pray for something so that he is released to operate here on earth. Right? We are the agents of God. We are His hands and His feet here on earth. He is the head, but we are the body. And He is the head. He will, He will download things or He will impress upon us to go and to pray for some certain thing. And if we don't pray for it, it's not going to come to pass. God relies upon us to pray for things so that they can happen. God will, God might impress upon you to pray for, pray for some, some city in China. And you have no idea. You've never been there. You didn't even know that city existed. But God can impress upon you to pray for some city in China. And because you pray a prayer halfway around the world, you can see that God would release something and release that prayer upon that and allow whatever it is that, that you began to pray for to come to pass. This is it's the way that God operates. But if we, if we don't get into that place where we are hearing the voice of God to pray for certain things to come to pass, if we're not getting into the presence of God where we are in communion with Him, 
then there are there are things there's there's uh there there are certain things that can only come to pass through prayer that are not going to happen because we are not in that place of communion with God. We as the church, when we talk about, uh, I can reference all these things halfway around the world, but what about right here at home? Right? You want to see the seat next to you filled up? You want to see this baptismal filled up? With people going down in the name of Jesus Christ. You want to see, see this altar full of people that are receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. We need to be a praying church. You want to see somebody right there in your workplace that's filled with the Holy Ghost or healed of some cancer or, or disease that they have. You need to begin to, pre- we need to be a praying church. You need to be a praying church. If we want to see the miraculous happen, we need to be a praying church. If we want to see in 2023 this place filled up because there is people that are hungry for God, we need to be a praying church. We need to be a praying church because those things only happen by prayer. Those things only take place because there's a people that began to pray and to hear the heartbeat of God as he would impress upon them to begin to pray so that somebody's heart would be turned towards God. You want to see your child come back to God? Let's be a praying people. Let's be a praying people. But that happens when you get into the presence of God. It happens when you approach God in a way that, that He says, uh, you've got my attention now. You've gotten, you've shaken loose of all the things that, that you have been carrying because you visited that altar of incense, or you visited that brazen altar. And you went to that brazen laver. And you went to where that gold, those golden candlesticks were and that table of showbread and the altar of incense. And you got to the place of my mercy seat in the Ark of the Covenant. Now that you're here, I just want to commune with you. I'm not going deep into each of these these things tonight because we're going to cover them in the month of January on Wednesday nights. But but I, I, I will go through just just briefly here tonight as we wrap this up. Each of these uh, articles of furniture and and try to to lay out for us this understanding of how to pray through the tabernacle so you can. You can begin to do this, and as I said, we'll we'll go into much more detail in in later lessons or later Bible studies here tonight. But this brazen altar, as I as I mentioned, it's the very first thing that you come to. It's the very first thing that you would approach, and uh, we have uh, this this tabernacle as it's uh, opened up. You're you're here, you're in the outer court, you're not actually in the building yet, but you're inside those outer walls that are constructed around the building. And this is the largest, this is the largest uh, article of furniture of the seven pieces of furniture that are there. It's an altar, it's a place of sacrifice, it's a bloody place, it's a dirty place. It's this place that for us, we come and we lay our flesh down upon the altar. We say, God, here I am. I'm a sinful man. God, help me, help me to, uh, to, to turn away from the things that I've, uh, that I've gotten dirt that, you know, that I've walked in and, and, and gotten all this, uh, dirtiness all over myself. And, and I'm, God, I'm a sinful man. Lord, help me, uh, to walk worthy of, of who I am, who I've called to be. 
God, I want to get in your presence, but first, God, I can't do it as a sin with my sin. So, Lord, I, I repent of this. And, and you can spend time and you can spend a lot of time right here at the brazen altar. In fact, you ought to spend a lot of time here at the brazen altar. It's not just that you can. You ought to. You ought to spend time there at the brazen altar. You get into the next article of furniture and it's the brazen laver. Exodus chapter 30, verse 17. It uh, speaks here on this brazen labor and it says, you have that verse handy. Exodus chapter 30, verse 17. It says that the Lord, he spake unto Moses saying, no, I'm going to continue. I think I just put verse 17 there, but it should be 17 through 21. So if you don't have that up there, my apologies, but I'm going to continue. Verse 18 that thou shalt also make a laver of brass, and his foot also of brass, to wash withal. And thou shalt put it between the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar. And thou shalt put water therein, for Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet thereat. Wherein they go into the tabernacle of the congregation, they shall wash with water, that they die not. Or when they come near to the altar to minister, to burn offering made by fire unto the Lord, so they shall wash their hands and their feet that they die not. And it shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and to his seed throughout their generations. This is this brazen altar, this place where they would come after they've offered up that, that sacrifice upon the altar. And now they need to wash themselves. And we see that Aaron and his sons, they, they foreshadowed the even greater priesthood of Jesus Christ. As we as we look to this this pattern as as a pattern also of this salvation plan of of coming to to Jesus Christ, we see that those those priests who they would go through this that they were themselves a pattern of of what Jesus would fulfill as our great high priest. And in Revelation chapter one, we see in verse four it says that John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was, which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And he hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. It says, we must wash lest we die. We must wash lest we die. That we come to this place of washing. We'll get into a little bit further, um, later lessons as far as what it means to come to the brazen labor. But when I come into this place, it's, a, it's seeing a reflection of who I really am. It's spending time in the word of God, even. I, I open up the word of God. And I'll, I will let it speak to me about who I really am. I'll ask God, Lord, help me to see my inward parts. God, if there's, is there anything in me that ought to change? It's washing myself of, of that, that this, this who I am. It's allowing the word of God to wash me and change me. It's asking God, Lord, I don't, I don't want to just repent of my sins and turn from that. But God, I need you. I need your spirit to come and to lead me and guide me. 
And I need you to come to, to help me to be an overcomer. I need you to wash me. I need you to cleanse me. I, I, I point back to the time when I was baptized. God, I thank you for when my, I, was, I went down in the water that you washed me clean. And I want to apply that blood over my life again, Lord, that I would be washed clean. And then you get into the next place where the golden candlesticks are at. This is finally when you get into the actual tabernacle. The golden candlesticks are this place where God will light up your life. And you have the light of God that is there. And, and this is this, this place where, um, where we come and, and we allow God to illuminate himself to us. And we begin to think about who is God, what all these things about who God really is and, and allow the, the revelation of who God is to, uh, to become something that would uh, allow him to be even more real. You focus on the different attributes of God as you allow the candlesticks uh, or as you get to that place of the candlesticks. The, the table of showbread is that place that we'll come to and this is that, that, that bread, it's representative of the word of God. And the table, though, itself, this article, uh, furniture, is, uh, is the thing that's holding the, the, the word, holding the bread. And so when I get to that, I begin to pray for the ministers of the gospel. I pray for missionaries here. I pray for pastors. I pray for evangelists. I pray for people. Uh, I pray for you when you go out and you're, you're telling somebody else about, about God. You're speaking the gospel to somebody else. That's what you do when you get to that table of showbread. You begin to pray for those who are upholding the word of God. You get to the altar of incense, and this is a place of worship. A place of worship. And you begin to worship God when you're there at this altar of incense. Incense itself is representative throughout Scripture of, of worship. And so begin to praise God and worship God when you get there. And then, and only then do you get to enter into that holy of holies, the place where the mercy seat is at and where the Ark of the Covenant dwells. This is the place where you just commune with God. It's a place where I've been talking where God, He begins to speak to you to pray for things. You begin to get in that place of prophetic prayer where God is speaking to you and things as He would repress upon you, they would come to pass. See, I, I'll close close just with this illustration that's here on the, the right-hand side of your notes, that cross that's there, and talked about the different redemptive, um, or how this goes through the, the redemptive plan that was laid out for us. It's even laid out in, in the way that it was structured in the, in the order of a cross. You see, the first thing that you come to is that place of repentance, that altar that's there at the foot of the cross. And then you get to the, the brazen labor that's there. And it's, it's as, as we read, and we can even go to Ephesians 5, 27, that says that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Titus chapter 3 says, not by the works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, not, or by the washing of regeneration. He's washing us there. Or the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Lord. A washing of regeneration. That's what you get to in this as we approach God, that we are washed by his blood. We're washed by him. And then you get 
to that place where it's, it's spread out. That's actually how it was situated in the ark or in the, uh, in the tabernacle, in the holy place with the table of showbread on the one hand and the, the candlesticks on the other hand, the, the uh, altar of incense right there in the middle. And then you get to the head, the very place where the altar or where the ark of the covenant is at. And that is the head. That's the, that's the place of the cross. That's the place where, where God, he is at. Is there anybody here uh, that you, you have used this pattern for your own prayer time? There's some that use this pattern. I said last week that I don't, I don't necessarily use this every single time I go to prayer. I don't. Um, even when I do use this pattern for prayer, I don't always get all the way through the pattern of prayer. In fact, there's sometimes, uh, I didn't even mention these tonight, but uh, I, I love uh, the way that, that it was presented uh, or, the, or the Mangan taught where he would get the five doorposts or the five uh, pillars, the five pillars as you're entering into the, uh, the holy place and he would pray uh, the wonderful counselor, mighty God, the everlasting father and the prince of peace. I love praying that prayer myself. Isaiah 9, 6, for he shall be called... Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And I just, I can pray on those five things for an hour. I'm just, start off with, I don't want to try to make myself sound spiritual. I don't, I don't pray that way for an hour every single time. <laughs> but I can, because it's so easy just to get caught up in thinking of, of God, you are so wonderful. God, you are so good to me. You are a wonderful God. And you just begin to think of all the wonderful things that he's done for you. Just just talk to him about it. God, you are wonderful to me. And begin to pray to a wonderful God about the wonderful things that he's done for you. And then just go on. God, you are the counselor. Your word says that you are a counselor. And God, I've got some things right now that I need some counseling for. Right? There are some things that we run up against that we don't know the right answer to it. There are things in our mind that we don't know how to fix. There's things that we just need a good counselor. And it's alright to go to somebody else for counseling, but there's no better counselor than the King of Kings. Than Him who is the great counselor. And so we come to him and you begin to just ask God for some counsel. And maybe you even ask God for somebody else to receive counsel. But but you come to him as the counselor. He is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God. God, you are mighty. There is no problem too big. There is nothing that you cannot do. You are the mighty God. God, there is no enemy that is uh, able to withstand you. And you take your greatest problems to him and he will be able to, uh, you'll be able to take care of whatever it is that you're facing. Pray to the mighty God for he is mighty in battle. That he is, he has everything that's needed to be, uh, to help you to be an overcomer. Pray to the mighty God. He is the everlasting father. 
The everlasting father. There is sometimes when we just need a father to come into our life and to say, well done, you're doing good. Or you need a father to say, hey, there's something right here that I need to teach you. And then there's some correction in this area of your life. And and I ask God, God, there's some things right now where I just need a father to come and to, to lead me. And there's a father I need to guide me. God, would you lead me and guide me right now? And in fact, I begin to pray even in that moment of for the father, for those, uh, those, those, uh, kids, those teenagers who they might not have a father in their life, or they might not have a godly influence in their home and begin to pray for them. And I'll pray, uh, I'll pray for even the, uh, those who are just in, uh, the, the widows and those in prison. And I know it might not fall perfectly into the fatherless, but, uh, God the father, but he is, he is a father to them in that moment. And I'll begin to pray for those individuals during that time. And, and, and I just pray, God, you are the father, the everlasting father. And then I end it with the Prince of Peace. God, give me peace. God, the things that I'm facing, give me peace. Just begin to pray for the God of peace to be peace, or to, to bring peace in your life. What an awesome way to pray this, 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 this prayer, the Isaiah 9, 6, that prayer. Uh, I encourage you, uh, just, just spend time, if, if nothing else here tonight, just, just even take that scripture and allow that to be part of your prayer and allow God just to begin to, uh, to well something up inside of you for a love of prayer. And I hope that this upcoming January, as we dive into a, a time of focused prayer and fasting, that you would join with us. Because I believe that a church that prays together, I believe that a church that binds together in a time of prayer, in a time of fasting, that there is something about doing this together as one body, that uh, it can unleash things that uh, could not just be done with one person. But it would only be unloosed because there is a church that would bind together and that we would pray together. Amen. God bless you tonight. This is... We're going to end the Bible study right there tonight. But I I hope that you, this weekend, you have a wonderful Merry Christmas and that you would stay very safe uh, on this upcoming uh, couple of days. I know the temperature is going to dip uh, well below normal, and so stay safe. Please stay safe. Um, God bless you tonight. Merry Christmas, and hopefully we'll see you Sunday here at 11 o'clock. God bless.